Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college basketball, the NBA, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 250. For the first time in the history of this podcast, I'm going to take the intro this week because I have a great fun fact. Yesterday on on Sunday, December 10th, was the first time in history that the professional football team and the professional hockey team from the same town both won by the same score on the same day ever. When the Vikings beat the Raiders three to nothing, and then the Wild, the Minnesota Wild beat the Seattle Kraken three to nothing, first time ever anywhere, not just in Minnesota, first time anywhere, a team's a town's hockey team and football team have won by the same score on the same day. Crazy! What happens when you have a three nothing NFL game? Ugly as heck. Yeah, that's crazy. The just the level of coincidence that happens. Shout out to the Vikings for really making that happen by not scoring any points. It's kind of impressive that in this modern age, we've had back-to-back weeks with a 6-0 to game and a 3-0 to game. Less than Vikings, 10 points combined. The Vikings have given up one touchdown in the last three games, and they're 1-2 and two in those games. That's really gross. Uh-huh. And the game that they won was 3 to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, um, we'll talk more about the NFL in a little bit, but first got to get into the Cyclone basketball team. Because they had a week. They rolled over the Iowa Hawkeyes on Thursday. And in a less impressive uh, game, the Prairie View A&M, whatever the heck they are, is um, on Sunday. So, I mean, just a great week. Um, just a great week for the Cyclone basketball team. That destruction of Iowa was was very unexpected. Iowa is a bubble team this year. They're not great. I'm not going to pretend they're great. But that's a... I mean, that's a power five team that has a chance to make the tournament and had a really good offense going into the game, and we just flattened. Well, so Robert Jones, I would say, was maybe the unsung hero of this game. So I I forget the Iowa big man's name, but coming into the game, he was kind of headlined as uh, he's been kind of a dominant force down low for the Hawkeyes so far this season. Um, And Robert Jones basically held him in check the entire game when he was guarding him and oh on the other end of the court he had 18 points on six of six shooting while going six of ten from the free throw line now you you might say (laughs) well six of ten isn't great but last year rob jones was shooting like 45 percent from the free throw line it was that high and that is totally one i was gonna say i think it was like 41 yeah, I, it totally unthinkable from like last season. And some of those were just pure. And one of them, he, I think he stroked one of them on a where he was intentionally fouled by the little scrawny point guard that Iowa had on a breakaway. And he just stepped up and, and hit it. Uh, like I was thoroughly impressed by his performance. Um, overall, like the Cyclones just came out in attack mode from the opening tip. And it really did pay off. Um, they got to the free throw line 26 times. Keyshawn Gilbert led the Cyclones 
with 25. This was probably his best game of the year, and it actually looked like the game flow wasn't speeding him up too much, and he was playing in his element within rhythm. He was hitting threes in rhythm. Um, the Cyclones also forced 19 Iowa Hawkeye turnovers. Coming into the game, Iowa didn't really turn the ball over that much. I think they were averaging maybe 10 to 11 a game, which is, a, I would say, on average for a, a typical team. But, I mean, Iowa State forced almost double. Uh, and Iowa was actually, according to Chris Williams, the fifth best team in the country at protecting the basketball. So they had to be much better than... 10 to 11 per game. Uh, Taman Lipsy, one of the highlights of this game was the uh, Keyshawn Gilbert had a really great uh, layup or drive with a layup um, on the offensive end. And then Taman Lipsy, while like jumping up in the air and falling away, intercepted the inbounds pass and then batted it to Keyshawn Gilbert, who turned around and drilled a three. And that's when the roof of Hilton basically blew and the the game was just out of reach for the rest of um, regulation uh, for the Hawkeyes. And Taman Lipsy just did what he normally does, 11, 7, and 6, um, stuffing the stat sheet again. That, I will say, that like his one... How many games has he had this season where he's had less than three turnovers? It feels like he's had a lot of turnovers this season. Not, not many, because he had eight against Prairie View A&M. So... That was a little bit of a glaring. No, that was Keyshawn. That was Keyshawn Gilbert. I thought Lips- Lipsy oh, had Lipsy three. Had okay. Yeah, Lipsy Gilbert. I got my steals. card. Yeah. Lipsy had eight steals against Prairie View A and M, which is which, crazy. I won't complain about that. Yeah, I won't. But overall, great win against Iowa. I think it was our largest margin of victory against them in the series ever. So that felt good. But that game, mm-hmm. like in the second half, was just so far out of reach that. There wasn't a whole lot to watch after that, but it was just a great, a good win. Yeah, so. it's it's been interesting. It's four, by the way. He's had four games with less than three turnovers. Uh, it's it's been weird. You brought up, you mentioned it. Uh, yeah, Bob Jones has been like really good this season. Just in general, has been a good big man, which is a, a bit of a change from what we've seen prior. I have been known to not be the biggest Robert Jones fan there is, but he's just played really solid all year, just like doing exactly what we need him to do. And I've been a fan of it this year. And if he keeps playing like that, he will be a huge negative or huge positive for this team. So pretty exciting there. Um, You know, on the Omaha Blue watch, he did not get like any run at all in the Iowa game. So that's a little scary, but they did put him in. For Prairie View A and M, and I didn't get say, to watch. They put the him game. in there. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it. But looking at his stat line is very interesting. He played for 13 minutes, took two shots, but had, went five of nine from the free throw line. So a lot of contact. One rebound, one assist, one steal, two turnovers, and four personal fouls. 13 minutes. So I don't know what to make of that. Uh, but it's a, it's an interesting stat line. I don't know whether I think that's good or bad. There's some aspects of both. I don't know if I, any of you guys actually got to see that game. I, I did. So I watched this game. Um, as far as Omaha Blue goes, in this game, he is still very much so trying to figure out like what his role is on this team. And I think this coaching staff is as well. For the As far as the four personal fouls go, 
Uh, he tries to post up down low, gets way too aggressive with it, and usually has a lot of offensive fouls while trying to get position. Hmm. Um, that happened twice in this game. The other two were absolutely terrible fouls down low where he's like coming down on the on the shot instead of just staying upright. Um, as far as the points come, all of his points felt like they came within the last like eight minutes of the game when we were up pretty much by 50 points and this thing was over. Um, and he was out there with, you know, the CEO, Conrad Holly, and you know, the Kelderman kid, I think. Um, so his minutes are in like garbage time yeah. <laughs> pretty much. And then when he is in, he's committing fouls. So he can't find any rhythm um, in the game. So that's, it's the coaching staff is still trying to find a way to use him. And, he, the game just is hasn't been coming to him yet, and I'm I'm very concerned about what it looks like for him going forward, especially as we get more and more so closer to conference play, and yeah. the Iowa game is going to be a significant representation of the, what the rest of the season will look like with our rotation, especially when Hassan Ward comes back. You would have to think that Hassan Ward's probably going to eat some of those minutes that Baloo would potentially get, right, and. I see Baloo right now as being the type of guy that would fill Trey King's role in the offense when Trey King gets in foul trouble, but he's not there in his development. And it's just staggering that, you know, we haven't seen progress, especially since he was such a highly touted recruit. And I don't know what's going to happen to him going forward, but I have serious concerns about what's going to happen this year. And I think it's going to honestly lead to his frustration and maybe, you know, transfer out of this program at the end of the year. Um, yep, that's what I'm thinking about already too. If he gets upset and transfers out, we just lost out on our best. Yeah, go ahead. But it's not like we're a great team either. Right. Like, right. It's not like he's trying to find playing time on a team full of studs. Like if he can't yeah. find playing time on this team, is it just because he's not as good as he was hyped up to be? Right. But everybody like that's that's the thing with all of these kids. I mean, sure, there's a lot of guys out there who are highly rated and they come in and they're underwhelming or there are guys who are not highly rated Tyrese Halliburton and come in and become studs like everybody develops differently in different scenarios. But the only thing that I can think of is that he has just been on teams that have been hyper aggressive and have put him in situations where he was just able to overwhelm everyone and everything was pretty easy. But now he is the scrawny guy that's getting overwhelmed and it's difficult for him to find his like footing and role in this team. Um but to Mike's point, yeah, it's not like this is a top five team full of five stars. It's not like it was that Kentucky team of days old where it was they literally said, all right, line change, and you bring in five five stars off the bench. That's not what this is. It's a guy who's a five star who can't get off the bench. Yeah. So I don't You're know. Playing behind what, Jackson Pavletsky, I just it's questionable to me. I will say I mean, I mean, you can, you can question him for what it's worth, but when that kid has come in, he has played hard, and he's filled some holes like on this team. He's kind of sure. 
a little he, bit of a glue guy in those positions. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not deserving of his minutes or he's out there as some kind of joke or stunt or anything. Like he's playing well when he's in, but like, you know, playing hard and being a glue guy versus being the 11 number 11 recruit in the country. Like, that's not what I expect you to do. I expect you to be better than the play hard glue guy. And he can't play before that guy. So right. not great. I will say I'd been critical of this team's offense and then after that, in their next three games, they averaged 98.67 points. I don't think that continues. Is that, is that good? Uh, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's bad if you're in the NBA, but... Uh, that's true. You know, they play like eight less minutes a game and are less talented offensively. So it's pretty darn good. I don't see that continuing into uh, league play, but it's nice to see yeah, that no. they have that op- they have that ability. You know, this team has already scored over a hundred points twice. Yeah. And last and year's team, another time. Yeah. And last year's team did not have the ability, right? I've noticed some big differences between this year's team and last year's teams, right? Just looking at some of the metrics in Ken Palm and the Bartovic. I mean, the first one is tempo, right? Iowa State Tempo's right now is different. is we're 64th in the nation in tempo right now. Last year Iowa State finished 328th in tempo. So that's just a huge change um, in tempo um, for Iowa State this year. A couple other things I've noticed. Um, Rebounding has been significantly better um, for Iowa State, especially offensive rebounding. Right now, Iowa State is 15th in the nation in offensive rebounding and 32nd in defensive rebounding. Um, That's a huge change from last year when they weren't great at either of those two um, categories. The other one is we're, we're still not great shooting free throws. Like you mentioned, Ariane um, were 69% uh, on the yeah, season. 69%, which you'd love to see that up to about 75, 80, yeah. but we're getting to the line a lot. 48 year, free throw year. attempts against Prairie View A&M. Yeah, we, 48. We are, we are ninth in the nation in, um, free throw rate, right? We got to convert more of those to points, but we're getting there, and that's that helps. I mean, last year, so. I vaguely remember like one or two conference games in where we had maybe one, two, or three free throw attempts in yeah. a game. Yeah, and 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 our opponents are also um, we getting to the free throw line significantly less than last year. If you remember, right, in previous years. One of our big things is we don't go to the free throw line and our opponents do. We're better this year um, in not letting our opponents get to the free throw line. Last year we were in the 300s. This year we're in the low 200s. So we've gotten better at that, but the defense hasn't slipped at all. We're just not fouling while doing it. This team has the potential to be a lot better than last year's team. Will they reach it? I don't know, but they've got the potential. So... I, I agree with all of that. And one thing that I want to highlight from the um, game, especially against uh, Prairie View A&M, we had uh, 26 turnovers, 25 turnovers, excuse me. So slightly better. 25 turnovers against Texas A&M. We had 16 turnovers. We had uh, still, we had a positive turnover margin against Prairie View A&M, which says something. But Texas A&M, we had a negative turnover margin. Uh, Virginia Tech, we had 13 turnovers. This this team, like we are playing with more tempo, 
But to some extent, I feel like we need to reel that in a little bit because this team isn't the best three-point shooting team. So if we do get down, we're going to have a hard time getting back into games if we aren't able to hit a lot of threes, especially in conference play. Um, And then that's when we can't afford some of those turnovers. Like To see how sloppy we were against Prairie View A&M, even with 107 points in the game, it, it was alarming to see 25 turnovers forced um, against Iowa State, and that's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, I said we were, I wrote in the outline, we were bad at, at the free throw line. Honestly, we weren't horrible. It was 75% for the game. We did shoot, like like I said, we had 48 free throw attempts uh, in that game, so large sample size, but Overall in the season, we do want to see that see that up. Um, but yeah, if anybody else has, does anybody else have anything else? Or we'll talk about our next game. Yeah, my only thoughts are that I agree with you. We should be less sloppy, but we already know that TJ knows how to coach that grinded out style. So I would rather in these non-con games figure out how to get that tempo up, how to move, how to get quick looks. And then if you are at least serviceable in both styles, I think that helps you out a lot when you're facing a different types of opponent. Well, with that, Iowa State does play their third and final SWAC conference matchup uh, of the season. It is a home game on Sunday, December 12th, against Florida A&M. Um, this should be another blowout victory for Iowa State. Florida A&M is currently 2-5. Two, uh, two and five. Sixth in the SWAC, um, as we've already played the two better teams, uh, two teams that are better in the SWAC so far this year. Uh, Florida A&M isn't averaging very many points per game. Their pace is um, a lot slower than Iowa State's. Uh, and overall, they only are they're giving up 13 turnovers per game. So Iowa State should be able to force quite a few turnovers as well. Um, yeah, should be a, another easy game for the Cyclones as they uh, gear up towards conference play in like three weeks. Yeah. And that's when the wheel challenges will start. Uh, yeah. Uh, number nine, Oklahoma number what? Two, three, somewhere in there, Houston. Yeah. At Oklahoma and Houston at home to start the conference slate. So not an easy start. Yeah. But good test though. We'll see what it looks like. Yep. Uh, and what do you got from the uh, world of the NBA? Yeah, so we just finished up our very first uh, NBA in-season tournament. I would say on all accounts, it was pretty successful for what it was supposed to be doing, which was give some entry to the random dregs of the season here in the beginning uh, and get players to play hard, and they did. Um, the knockout rounds were fun. They were exciting. In the West, you had the Lakers take out the Suns 106-103 in a close game. Then the Kings and the Pelicans, the Pelicans beat the Kings by 10. And then the Lakers absolutely obliterated the Pelicans, 133-89. to And then on the East, LeBron went crazy in that game, too. He only played like 28 minutes and got a million points and took like three charges for a dude who's 39, taking charges in the paint. Incredible. Uh, and then in the East, you had the Bucks take out the Knicks, 146-122. to Then the Pacers, in what was a closer game than the last the score says, uh, took out the Celtics 122 to 112. And then the Pacers followed that up by taking out the other leading contender in the East uh, by beating the Bucks 128 to 119, setting up a nice little championship round of the Lakers, you know, NBA's golden boys, 
LeBron, the the guard that's already been there, Anthony Davis versus the new school newcomers on the block. You got your, you know, Iowa State alumni, arguable if they can string together some defense and win some games, an MVP candidate, potentially best point guard in the league. Tyrese Halliburton right now putting up insane numbers as well. Um, the game was incredibly close through about three quarters, and then they kind of pulled away in the fourth. It never felt that close, but it was always basically a one to three possession game. But the Pacers could just never get it down within five, and then they managed to pull away at the end. The Lakers did. Um, most of that reason was just Anthony Davis just went absolutely bananas. He put up 41 points on 16 of 24 shooting, 20 rebounds, five assists, four blocks. I mean, he was everywhere. He was on the offensive side doing whatever he wanted. On the defensive side, shutting people down. I mean, Miles Turner went three for 11 for 10 points and uh, fouled out of the game. So he was just dominant. He could do whatever he wanted. He did nothing wrong. Um, and he basically powered him to the loss. And this is what people have wanted to see from Anthony Davis for a long time. He should be the best player on this team. And so often it's, you know, geriatric LeBron, which LeBron's still a very good player, but Anthony Davis should be a top three to five player in this league. And if he plays like that more often, he certainly will be considered as such, but incredible game defensively and offensively. Uh, Just a fun tournament for sure. It was good to watch and I'll be interested to see what kind of tweaks they make to it in the future. I know people have talked about upping the prize money or changing it so that point differential isn't a tiebreaker because we had a lot of crybabies about unwritten rules and scoring at the end of the game, which I think we're all of the mindset that if you don't want to get scored on play defense, that's generally what I say. I don't care what the time is on the clock. I think an interesting idea that I saw, so all the players got prize money, but the team doesn't get anything. I saw a couple ideas listed. I don't really like anything that like guarantees you a playoff spot or whatever. There aren't enough games for that. But basically making that win, which oddly enough does not count towards anything. Those stats don't go anywhere. Um, but making that game, the winner gets that game basically as a, a tiebreaker overall. So if you're tied with anybody else at the end of the season in record, that is the ultimate tiebreaker and it bumps you up. I like that idea. That seems like not too much and not too little. But overall, super fun. I, I enjoyed watching it throughout. I think the, they could do a better job getting casual fans to know it's happening and understand it. But that kind of comes with it being the first year it's ever happened. Uh, but it was fun for NBA fans. People who knew about it really enjoyed it. I I agree with your your last sentiment there. I mean, for the most part, I only saw you know, advertisements that was like in-season tournament, you know, mm-hmm. semifinals is tonight and finals is tonight. But I I think for their like marketing and PR team, what they could do is at the beginning of the tournament, they could say like, do like a 30 second ad where it's like, these teams are playing in an in-season tournament. Here's what's at stake. Here's like in a new interesting format, we do this, 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 and it all comes down to one champion in the, the middle of the season um yeah and like what's at stake with that so i, I would have liked something with like that because for someone who is an nba um i would say like fan just like a dedicated fan even um they would go and want to look it up and and learn about it but for me 
not being the like I would tune into the the finals and like the playoffs, but not really much of the in season stuff. Yeah. Um I need to I need to know what the reason is to to go and like tune in. So Yeah. And I think that that has to be their next step. I think this year they were like, is this going to crash and burn and blow up on our face? It's a proof of concept. Right. It definitely is good for a first run. And that's from where you start tweaking it. And the next step is definitely to get casual fans, people who will watch a game if it's a big deal. How do you get them in to actually want to watch that? And that's that's something for somebody who gets paid a lot more than I do, so they can figure that out. But uh, good job for year one. Hope it gets better. Uh, They should maybe change the courts a little bit. Those weren't (laughs) super popular. They're pretty brightly colored. Even um, the finals one, man. I saw the picture yeah, of it, and I was like, "Oh, bright this blue. is bad." Like, yeah, we, I was a everybody that didn't hate the courts. I was like, you know what? It doesn't really bother me that much. It's kind of fun, but I definitely agree with people that it's very bright, gonna be very distracting. Should maybe tone it down a little bit. Go for something. What, what I was, what I was gonna say is, you know how they kind of did like a, a triangle through like the free throw line like through like the lane with like a color why not yeah, just do just your standard wood wood grain everywhere else and then make the mm-hmm. landing strip a different color maybe change yeah, the logo in better. center court but i don't know yeah i like the idea of literally if you turn the game on and you see the court you're like oh this is an in-season game i can see that immediately but maybe don't like sear my retinas so that i cry out in pain when i see the bulls bright red on slightly less bright bright red court which was a bit of an eyesore uh but that's all i have about it kyle i know you said what you want to say mike got anything about it no i have i don't have anything really i just don't know it was you had teams who were three and one multiple teams three and one in the group stage left out i don't know what the answer is for that but that just seems tough that's that's my only thing is you have teams who did everything they were supposed to do except score a bunch of points which i i agree with you on running up the score in professional sports like i don't really care about it in professional sports but if you did everything right except outscored your opponents by more right that that's my only complaint so i think other than that i think it was good one thing that i would say is um i think they did six groups of five if i recall correctly for this yes um one and then one wild card for each don't make it random if we're going to do like groups that are the size of divisions, make them divisions because divisions matter the least in the NBA of any sport. Nobody knows who's in divisions and nobody cares. So make this the time where people really start to hate their divisions because they want to mm. get into the tournament or yeah. make it a bigger a group. Make point. it five groups of six instead of six groups of five so that you don't end up with these teams that have better records that just don't get in because there aren't yeah. enough wild cards. I but quite then you literally cross conference too. That is the one. issue. Then you run into scheduling stuff. I quite I, literally don't know who's in divisions in the NBA. All I know and about I is the Western Conference and Eastern Conference. That's yep. all I know. Yeah. So they could do. I've been thinking that for a long time. Divisions don't matter like at all in the NBA, and they should do something to change that. And this feels like a good avenue to like. You can do a little, but we'll see. We'll see what they do. Um, overall, I give it a thumbs up. And uh, but there's room for improvement, and I think within the in-season tournament and the playing game, for all of the things you can say about him, I think Adam Silver has shown an ability to make drastic changes that tend to end up well. Other than the sleeve jerseys, those couple of years I hated those. Uh, but with that, we'll move on to the NFL. 
where I believe yeah. Kyle is going to um, give us a glowing Whoa. positive review of the NFL in general. <laughs> the So speaking of consistency and like oh. this, so I messaged the group uh, while watching the Chiefs game and I admitted it, you know, this entire season, Juwan Taylor has been a point of emphasis on false starts because he's been leaving the line early. And I've I've said it like he needs to get it in check. The organization needs to get it in check so that it stops happening. It was limited for a bit and now it's rearing its head again. But it's it is tough to sit and watch the the Buffalo Bills in at least five or six different notable occasions do the same exact thing with no call the entire game. Um, I get singling out Juwan Taylor because national television Thursday night football game one of the season was blatantly bad, like a bad look, but please like at, at least maintain some level of consistency for both sides. That's all I want. And I've even so, in watching what, glimpses of the, the Monday night football games tonight, I have seen Miami do it twice as well. Like if it's a point of emphasis, Wyatt, make it a point of emphasis. I'm wrong on this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wyatt, Wyatt, yeah. I, I need you to correct me if I'm wrong about this, Wyatt. Um, my understanding is that the um, offensive lineman can drop step with that outside leg before the ball is snapped, and it's not a false start. That that's in the rules. Is that accurate? That's what I saw. Is that correct? In the NFL, I, I don't know, and I have not seen enough of this game to speak on the topic comfortably okay i because i the way i saw that somewhere is that the it comes from where you're lining up and what you do with your inside foot my understanding is you can drop with that outside foot if you're in a two-point stance before the ball is snapped as long as that inside foot stays planted if you're in a two-point stance instead of a three-point stance so that's something to keep an eye on i agree with that interpretation i just don't know if that's what happened in the game yeah, yeah, yep. I'm just I'll saying. Go back so and that's watch something game. to keep an eye on, Kyle. I'll go back and watch game film on it, but when you see it happening, like it looks the same, like from Juwan Taylor to, uh, I forget the left tackle's name for the Bills. Like when you see it look the same from the naked eye on TV, you're like, how does this not carry over? And I've seen it now on Monday Night Football a couple times. I just want consistency. The other point yeah, is sure. the other point is we have referees who are, you know, letting things play out and not letting things play out uh, and invoking their um, authority into games is what it feels like. Uh, I was watching the end of the Rams Ravens game because it was a very good game on Fox uh, while the Chiefs and Bills game had started. Um, and the Baltimore Ravens had a walk-off punt return touchdown. There was a very blatant uh, block in the back that was missed by the officiating crew. I don't know if it was positioning, not seeing it, but the Rams defender went flying for quite some distance, and it was not called. Instance of, you know, the refs not intervening and letting a great play happen to to win a great football game. Um, last week in Sunday Night Football, uh, the Chiefs, there, there was a lot of talk and controversy about the officials, but one of the defining moments at the end of the game is a no call on defensive pass interference. 
they let the players play out on the field. It is what it is. It happened. Um, Dan Orlovsky today on NFL Today did a segment where he broke down Kadarius Toney. I am going to start with this preface and say Kadarius Toney was lined up offsides on the last play that was called back the touchdown where Travis Kelsey was thrown to and then Kadarius Toney, you know, caught the lateral for a touchdown that was nullified. But Kadarius Toney, first play of the game. Which is a play, by the way. Yes. I'll, I'll get Travis to that. Kelsey hold on. I'll get to it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'll get to that. Kadarius Toney, first play of the game, lined up offsides. Not called. No warning given out to the team. Uh, Andy Reid did confirm that, but he also confirmed at the end of the game no warning was given out. Um, to, Pick, so it didn't happen. I need to see this. I will send you the video to confirm it uh, from Dan Orlovsky on Twitter. So Kadarius Toney later, like second drive of the game, lined up offside. Uh, another time in the game, there were about four or five instances of this happening, culminating with that play in the game. Now, what I'm saying, what I'm trying to get at here is, he, yes, he was lined up offsides, but for the rest of the game, wh- when was this staff and this crew ever going to approach Kansas City and say, hey, your guys close to the line of scrimmage or like close to violating it and being offsides, offensive offsides, like make sure he's lined up properly, get it in check. This is stuff that happens in kindergarten, as Mahomes was talking about in his press conference that they they talk about alignment, details, whatnot on offense. And Andy Reid said, and I don't know about this, or or Wyatt can maybe speak to it, that if players are lined up offsides, sometimes officials will go ahead and give a warning to the the team, to the offense, and say, hey, they're lined up offsides, you know, get them in check, make sure you do it before we call it and influence the game. Um, That didn't seem to happen here, so... I don't know why. Do you have any confirmation of that? That definitely does happen um, very often in high school play, of course, right? I would not expect that to happen in the NFL, however. The, these are professionals that are getting paid to play the sport that should understand when they are lined up offside and when they're not. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. I, I just wouldn't necessarily expect them to in this scenario. Sure. I, I will say former offensive lineman Mitchell Schwartz confirmed that that does happen. Andy Reid says it normally happens. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, Robert Griffin III also said that it typically happens. So there's, he's there's people. Not a, he's, he, he's also not an outside wide receiver here. He is like four yards from the football, right? I, it's not like he's five yards from the official. He's five yards from the football. Like, Did I ever say that I'm not? I'm not saying that he wasn't offside. You're oh. not on. You're not get. You're getting that wrong. He he was I'm offside. He was adult. lined up wrong. I'm saying he's an adult. Get your act together and look at the football. I yeah, play flag I, football and I can line up on sides at wide receiver. I I agree, but if he's doing it all game, where's like the warning of it? I, I admire. I applaud. Like I applaud your effort in managing to put this on the refs that your guys don't know how to line up and play football. I don't really care about a warning. I don't, I don't care. Why didn't they tell me I was breaking the rule or why am I being penalized for breaking the rule? It doesn't really matter. You broke the rule. I mean, that is what I it mean, is. At the, end I, of the day, at the end yeah. of the day, Kadarius Tony doesn't deserve to be on a damn NFL t- like roster. Like that is the, that is the fact of the matter. 
five receivers on this Kansas City Chiefs team don't deserve to be on an NFL roster. Like I was going to bring this up. Why don't they cut Kadarius Tony? At some point, I don't know because we gave up a first round pick for him, which was stupid. He's lost you two games. Two. At some point, when does when does Patrick Mahomes stop being the nice guy on the stand and say, "Yeah, my receivers suck." Like when does he pull the Aaron Rodgers of this? (laughs) Yeah. If you cut Kadarius like Tony, he's there's no negative there. It's too- cut Marquez Valdez Scantling. He has been the guy who's dropped the most passes. Yeah, but he's at least contributed. If you no. cut Kadarius Tony, hold on. He has it's not contributed. Two point, do you want to pull up the stats and see who's contributed more, whether it's MVS or Tony? Kadarius Tony has 164 yards this season, Kyle. The whole time. Do you know how many times a receiver? has had more yards than that in one game 16 times this season. This season. Just cut I'm him. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's it. a wide receiver one, but Scantling he's isn't it either. Four. Scantling is much better. The, the worst thing he's done is drop balls. He's not worth $11 million a year. That's fair. The, the salary's worse, but I just like, I don't see any benefit to having Kadarius Tony on this team, and it's impressive that the wide receivers for the Chiefs have almost single-handedly lost them three out of the five losses. Like, that's that's really bad. Something should happen. And I will say, I've never seen someone come out of something looking worse than Patrick Mahomes has come out of this season, this weekend. I've never seen such whining and crying and complaining about a blatantly correct call, saying that you can't call that because I think the play's cool, basically. Like, that's not fair to me. He always has seemed like a nice guy and he's been very polite, but I guess, you know, the chiefs haven't lost that many games. It's been hard for him. You know, he gets all the nice calls. Generally he gets, you know, roughing the passer calls when he's three feet inbound. Still, I get that. But like to go off and scream at the refs for five minutes, I'm like, okay, he's just mad at Kadarius. I can't yell at Kadarius. I get that. Are you, but then to come back, are you, well, hold on. Are you forgetting about Tom Brady walking up the tunnel with a white hat, screaming at him about a bad call? Right, because That's Tom ha- Brady is before. Tom Brady's the model of being a good sport. He's always been a baby too. I, I'm just I'm defending like the competitor in the moment. Oh, he looked like such a little baby coming back to the podium he and did. whining about it more. He did. I I That's said bad. it. I said it. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Pat Mahomes here though too. I no, I don't. You can't I really don't him. mind. I really don't mind that emotion on the field in that key situation. The the podium was a little bad going about yeah. it and complaining in the press. On the field, I will I will defend what Pat Mahomes did. No, it's not pass. a good look, but I'll, I'll totally give him a pass for what he did yeah. on the field there, hundred percent. I agree. The podium is where I was like, all right, this it's a little much now. It's a little much. I don't know, man. I that's just that's why on the podium he should have put he should have put his receivers on blast. Like, quit the act. Yeah, we all know what it is. We can all see the games. We know what the issue is. It's not the refs. It's just that your receivers are freaking terrible. They're just so bad. And he only has one year left on his contract. Kadarius Tony, I think if you cut him this year, I don't even think there's any dead cap for next year. Just get rid of him. There's get rid no of him positive. And get Nothing. rid of get rid of MVS. You too, at least have to have please. somebody in the wide receiver room. So keep MVS. I don't care. But like, oh, cool. I don't. I don't want to see him on this team next year. I think it's wild that you think MBS is worse than Tony. He runs he runs such poor routes. 
And Sky Moore was a waste of a draft pick, too. Yeah, that's He's true. He's been absolutely abysmal. It's really it's funny cool. when you remember he was supposed to replace Tyreek Hill. Yeah. NVS has Not. 295 yards at least. Darius Tony has 164. There's only two people on this team that have over 400 yards of receiving. Somebody made a somebody made a stat of how many uh, how much money MVS has been paid like per reception on his contract, and it's it's bad. Be about the same, probably. Yeah, it's insane. The receiving yards go: Travis Kelsey at 896, Rasheed Rice at 663, and then it drops to 350 with Justin Watson. Like unacceptable. It's too bad. All right, that that's enough. Yeah. That's enough yeah. on the Chiefs, probably. I, Say, can we talk I'm about so an actual sick. exciting game? Yeah, let's talk I'm about so sick of the Chiefs. Let's talk about a three to nothing Vikings win. Like, Woo! unbelievable! This game what was at zero to zero going into the fourth quarter, which hadn't happened was, since 2017. It was zero zero right about the two minute warning. Yeah, not not an offensively. A, like impressive game at all uh justin jefferson did come back in this game and aiden o'connell is that right josh dobbs and aiden o'connell oh i thought they switched to mullins my bad we did we did for like the last six minutes josh dobbs played most of the game and then to add insult to injury i guess justin jefferson got hurt again in this game he was sent to the hospital um Josh, sure. let, let's be clear. Josh Dobbs sent Justin Jefferson to the hospital. That is, he, that was, is fair. he was wide open and Josh Dobbs threw the ball two feet over his head. And being Justin Jefferson, he went up and made a great catch and got it and got destroyed by the safety because he couldn't protect himself because he was airborne on a ball where he probably would have beat the safety to the end zone had he been hit in stride in the chest. And instead he was in the hospital. Like even I think when Mike's, Josh Dobbs did good things, he did bad things. I think Mike's even more mad about that twofold because jo- or he had Justin Jefferson on his <laughs> fantasy team and he does I, not did not get that touchdown. I mean, I my fantasy team is two and whatever. Yeah, I don't care about that. I know, but you still wanted bragging rights over me, I'm sure. Well, sure, but I didn't really care about that. I'm just concerned that you just sent one of the just sent one of the best players in football to the hospital because you can't throw the ball straight. Yeah, what a wild, what a wild month for Josh Dobbs it's been. That's he's probably right. Gonna third, he's probably he's probably going to be the third quarterback on Saturday. Too bad they don't have Zach Wilson to call on. They, they just need Nick to keep Mullins benching Zach Wilson and then pick him back up, and they'll have one good game, and then you just throw him right back on the bench for a couple weeks. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Reload? I'm not sure. Well, and with that, we won't beat a, a horse dead further on that one but uh moving on in the nfc a big showdown on sunday night football something that actually lived up to hype in this uh for week 14 dallas played did it a, though well i guess it was not but the game it was okay for a for a while it was okay until like the end of the third beginning of the fourth uh dallas whoops the eagles in the second half um and now they have Sort of taking control in the NFC. They do have that bad, bad loss to the Arizona Cardinals early in the season that is going to hurt them in a head-to-head against the Philadelphia Eagles when it comes down to the tiebreakers and conference record. Um, So that could come back and hurt Dallas as they move forward. But the Eagles have gotten through their gauntlet, though they... 
they do still have one of the better shots to be the number one overall seed in the NFC. Um, but if that team can get back on track, uh, we'll see. Uh, the San Francisco crazy. that loss to Dallas took the Eagles from the one seed to the five seed. Right. So that's rough. Yeah. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers keep rolling. Um, as I said before we started recording, it seems like Brock Purdy plays really well when he doesn't have concussion-like symptoms. Um, ever since like their, their three losses in a row, um, dating back a while, there was one hit in particular towards the end of the game where he you know, had a couple bad throws after that, and then the next week he suffered another hit and uh, wasn't kind of quite the same quarterback. You know, there can be a lot of speculation, but maybe, you know, the San Francisco 49ers should have been looking out for his health more. But when he is on the field now and healthy, things seem to be rolling. Uh, he's throwing a lot of uh, great deep balls right now uh, to Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, as well as George Kittle. And then Christian McCaffrey keeps being the best running back in the league that he is. Um, and that team does look like they are on a roll after they took it to the Eagles last week and then the uh, Seahawks this week. They have one big, big matchup left. I believe in two weeks they play uh, in Baltimore. Um, so that could be a, a really huge game for them defining their season going forward. Also kind Other of Other than that, uh, Iowa State yeah, what do you have? looking good. Got an NFL candidate or an MVP candidate in the NFL and the NBA. You could make an argument. That would be cool if they won Halliburton both. and Purdy. I don't think Halliburton will win. Purdy probably won't win either, but they, the fact that they're in the race. I was cool. also going to say, I'm not exactly sure that Purdy is going to win either no. because of... He's got good like statistical Dak, backup. Dak has a great you know, resume so far this year. He's played really, really well. And I think if people put Dak and Purdy up next to each other, they're going to say, well, Dak's done it with way less um, than Purdy has. So we'll see. Oh, yeah, because C.D. Lamb and Tony Pollard is just terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, Tony Pollard isn't CMC for sure, but That's he true. is, you Nobody know, is. above average. The closest thing to Christian McCaffrey was supposed to be Austin Eckler, and he hasn't been great this season. Yeah, just ask my <laughs> fantasy team that one. It's a horrible draft pick. Kyron Williams might have been the closest thing to Christian McCaffrey this season when he's played. Dude's been electric. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of electricity and things that are electric, in Mike's stupid rules, Mike isn't that electric, but Shohei Otani and MLB contracts are very electric. Mike. What do you have for us this week? So for those of you who didn't hear somehow, um, Shohei Otani signed a, um, signed a record-breaking contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is not surprising. Everybody knew he was going to sign a record-breaking contract. The part of it that is interesting is the contract provision about deferred money. So deferred money is... Uh, in Major League Baseball in contracts is basically money that is going to get paid to the player after the length of the contract is um, finished, right? Think Bobby Benilla, right? That was for getting cut versus um, actually pay, being paid to play. But it's the same thing, right? Getting paid after they're done playing for that team, potentially, at least that contract is done. 
With Otani, though, this has happened for multiple other players. Um, Otani's certainly not the first person to do this, but for Otani, it's extreme. His contract, um, all but $2 million of that yearly salary is going to be deferred each year. So he's going to be making $2 million a year to then make the rest of it, um, the rest of it in the future, right, after the contract is over. So essentially 10 years so for 10 years he's going to make 2 million a year and then he's going to make the rest of it over the course of the next 10 years the next what would that be the last 660 million of it um now the reason you'd want to do this is for the teams the teams would like to do this because um of the luxury tax or the competitive balance tax as it is officially called um, in Major League Baseball. Um, essentially, right, the way Major League Baseball does these calculations, right, is they use um, an economic principle known as the time value of money to calculate what the true average annual value is of the contract um, for, um, for these. So the time value of money basically just says that a dollar now is worth more than a dollar in the future because of both inflation as we as we know about and um just the fact that there's no guarantees about the future right like you you might not get to spend that money in the future for various reasons like you might die for example i know that's harsh but right it's the easiest example of that um so essentially it's going to what this is going to do is it's going to lower the average annual value of this Otani contract from 70 million a year, it's going to be actually around 46 million a year, right? So that saves them 24 million, um, which can make a big difference when you're going to calculate the luxury tax. Um, so that's essentially why he does this. And you'd ask, is this even allowed in the collective bargaining agreement to do it like this? The answer is absolutely. This collective bargaining agreement specifically says, this is a quote, there shall be no limitations on either the amount of deferred compensation or the percentage of total compensation attributable to deferred compensation. So yes, is the answer to the question. They can do this. Um, will that change in an amendment to the collective bargaining agreement or... <laughs> of the future collective bargaining agreement, because some may see this as an abuse of that clause. Who knows? But totally legal. So there you go. Any questions, comments, concerns, complaints? No. No, just... I mean, if I'm Shohei Otani's financial agent, shouldn't I have him move to a place like Nevada, Florida, or Texas immediately after his contract is up with the Dodgers? To avoid taxes? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be insinuating such a thing. Oh, okay. Just for the weather. Right. I will say it just just how crazy that contract is for uh, seven hundred million dollars. Uh it broke the record not only for largest uh MLB contract, obviously, which was like four hundred and thirty five or something for trout, uh, but the largest sports contract ever, uh, which was Patrick Mahomes at ten years five hundred three million. So he beat that by two hundred million dollars. So just incredible. In, in these new golf contracts out of the live as well. So Yeah. Now call me crazy and maybe maybe I'm just being a pessimist. But this man has had two Tommy John surgeries already. He's had multiple seasons where he's not gonna pitch. 
He's not going to pitch next season. Is it really viable for him to be a starter and a hitter, a DH and a starter, really for any length of time over a couple of years, much less into 10 years? Are you I mean, really paying for paying him. Are you getting what you're paying for, you know? You're paying $2 million a year, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's a good deal, but you're going to have to, that money's coming due at some point. It almost feels like you're paying for the idea of it and the fact that you know you're going to be getting a ton of Japanese fans and press and all that good stuff, because I just don't, I don't think it's viable that he can do this for that long. We've already seen the toll it takes on him. It's ridiculous to call it an overpay necessarily, but you got to wonder if this contract will look great in like six years. Might. But it might not. The the luxury tax keeps going up too, so that makes it That is a valid point. But is the luxury tax going to go up that much? It's already set for the next few years. Let me, I just had this open. Let me find it again. It's defined through 2026 already. They haven't defined it for that. So for 2023, well, that was last year. For 2024, it's 237. It's 241 in 2025 and 244 in 2026. After that, it's not defined. So it's going up slightly, 3 million a year or so. I mean, you're just, yeah, you're you're bankrolling for hopefully ten years of greatness, and then you'll have you'll have a rough a rough couple of years after that. Come out of it with the champ. Come out of it with a World Series, just one. And in my opinion, that's worth it. I know the Dodgers are a fancy franchise that expects a lot, but one, it's hard to win a World Series. If you can get one, I think that's worth it. There you go. Any other questions? All nope. right, hearing, hearing none, we will move into our write that down predictions and have a very quick accountability session because I'm told Kyle took good care of the accountability session in last week's episode when I was gone. Um, only one prediction coming off the board, and that's what Kyle predicted last week, that the men's basketball team would beat Iowa this week, which we already talked about. They did. So ding, 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 ding. That's it for our accountability session. Ariane, you want to put some stuff back on the board? Yeah, let's get to it. I am so a report came out today that Aaron Rodgers is rumored to be medically cleared to play football on the Christmas Eve game. Um, I'm going to go ahead and double down with what I've said this whole season. Aaron Rodgers is not going to play. I want to be specific in this and we can talk about it really, but I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers does not play quarterback this regular season. Now, what I mean by that is I could see him coming in and being like, I told you guys I could play. And he's like the holder on a field goal or something like that doesn't count to me. I'm behind center, taking snaps, throwing balls, you know, very typical what you would expect to be a quarterback. He will not do that this season. Fair enough. Um, is this a single or a double, guys? I'm leaning towards single, but I'm going to say it depends on if you believe Aaron Rodgers is nonsense. <laughs> I'm going to say single. I agree yeah. with single. I also right. agree with single. I mean, there have been a lot of people who have said, have you actually torn your Achilles? Like, there's that. Just sprained his ankle. Lying to us the whole time. I think that would probably be against NFL rules on injury disclosure. But anyway, Um, I'm going to predict that the Twins will continue to build the pitching staff the way they have been, and they're going to trade for at least one major league starting pitcher this offseason. So before the Twins' first regular season game. Well, according to what you just said, apparently that's what they like to do. So, I mean, last year, four of their uh, opening day, four of their starting five pitchers in their rotation 
were uh, trade were from trades. Um, Sonny Gray, Jorge Lopez, Chris Paddock, and Kenta Maeda. They traded for all of them. Hmm. So single. <laughs> I was gonna say this. You kind of talked us into a single. You really convinced thing. me of the of it happening. Yeah. Usually I talk you up. This time I guess I talked you down. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with the single. They're expected to. So. Do we have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He is. He is watching this Packers-Giants game with intent as the Packers are still in the playoffs, with playoff race. And he's going to say that Jordan Love will throw for at least 300 yards in at least two of the remaining games this year, counting tonight. My question would be, how many times has he done it so far this season? Oh, I probably should have looked that up before we started this I'm episode, but you know, I'm looking around so trying to get to him. Right Where are you at, Jordan? Who's gonna win? I want game. Um, he has done over it three hundred one. Yeah, one? he's done it once this year, just against the Chargers. So he said three hundred. Yeah, three hundred. So it seems like a triple of not unlikely. I would think. Where is games yeah. against? Let's see. Uh, the one with the Giants, it. Buccaneers, Panthers, Vikings, and Bears. I mean, there are no mm. good defenses on there. The Bucks defense well, like, is bad. They're not bad. They're not good. Like, passing defense. The Vikings defense has been incredible these last six weeks. Yeah, man. Giving up zero points. That's true. Uh, it seems highly unlikely. I'm going triple a home run. What do you guys think? I'm so, probably probably what was the triple. Can you, can you tell me that list again? Uh, like of the remaining teams, yeah. It's Giants, Bucks, Panthers, Vikings, Bears. Bears and the Bucks are like in the top. The Vikings team is the only one that's like been the worst against the pass so far. All the other teams I, are like get, in the top half of the league. I would say I give it a home run. I'll, home I'll go run. all the way. Yeah. I'm sticking with triple. I'll say home run. That's fine. Flip it. Home run it is. Oh, you said home run as well? Yep, I'm going Mike? home run. Oh, yep. never mind. I'm just stingy. I was in between the two. I'll go home run. I don't believe Jordan Love is as good as they say Jordan Love is. So. I think Jordan Love is fine. He's fine. He's good. Chris he's Collins. not the next coming of Aaron Rodgers. No. Chris Collinsworth was having a day with him the other week. Chris Collinsworth is always having a day. <laughs> One way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm hot on the men's team. I'm going to predict that they will go to the Sweet 16. Triple? Uh, Definitely possible, but it seems unlikely. I'm thinking triple. Probably fine with a triple. I was going to say. This says, uh, according to teamrankings.com right now, we have a 51% chance to make the Sweet 16, which seems absurd. That seems absurdly high. All, all the advanced metrics love us right now. You said we were, what, I, eighth in the net right now, Mike? Eighth in the net, yes. Yeah, team rankings has us as the seventh team in the country. Net ranking has us as eighth team in the country. We're just doing the right things to tickle those boxes. No, no. no net, net rank doesn't have us as 18th. It has us as eighth. Oh, sorry. I said eighth team. Oh, eighth team. I heard 18th. Yeah. Sorry. But yeah, uh, those metrics are probably a little high on us right now. But I'm, I'm good with triple. I'm still bullish. Like I, I would said, home run, but rules. that's fair. Uh now that you mention it, though, I don't. I'm not bought into this team either. I'm fine with. I'm fine with a home run. I'll go home run. You convince me without saying anything other than you don't like it. <laughs> I literally just said I'm still bullish on this team. And I was like, right. dang, you know that's a good point. I'll take it. I'm not gonna complain. Home run. All right, fair enough. What do you got, Kyle? Kyle? 
Uh, time has come due in with for the Royals. Uh, at least that's how I feel. Um, this is typically a team that is very uh, stingy when it comes to contracts that they give out. Um, but I'm going to say that Bobby Witt Jr. gets a $250 million plus extension this offseason. Um, and I'm saying that this extension must like be announced prior to the Royals' first pitch of opening day. Like, I've gotten burned so many times on specifics. Say, so the we're doubling down on the specifics here. Get it, get announced or be official? Announced. What, announced? Okay. What's the difference? They're the same thing. Oh, no. No, oftentimes, like, the Otani contract just became official while we were recording. That's true. Okay. Right? There's usually a couple days in between. Is this likely Announced. to happen? I don't really know much about it. So the the thing that I'm going to say is the caveat for the Royals, well, obviously with this Otani contract, it's big, but like that would be the Royals, I think 2017 through 2022 payrolls, like combined. <laughs> um, they don't really spend money. They don't give out big long-term extensions. If there is someone to do it, clearly it's Bobby Witt. Um, but I would think this is a pretty lofty one for the Royals because they're pretty cheap. They're like the Oakland Athletics as far as payrolls go. And record. That too. Would you say Which they're cheap per, uh, when it comes our, to stadiums? Per our tweet or? on the 8311 cast, Ariane candidly pointed out that we <laughs> the A's and the Royals both sucked this past year and they got screwed the worst with the lottery picks. They sure did. Um, would it? Double be fair. He I'd seems like he's their double. best player in quite a while. But two hundred fifty is a lot of two hundred fifty mil is a lot of money for a cheap team. That feels like you're saying you want more than a double. I was I was aiming for a triple with this. I'm, I'm fine with a triple. Say, I'm gonna say double, Wyatt. Wyatt, you're the tiebreaker. I'm fine with a triple. I'm feeling generous today. All right, yeah. triple it is. And then. I was I was like, you know, we'll just we'll get another one on the board. Cole Reagans is gonna be the Royals opening day starter. I do not even know who that is. Neither do I. Nope. Well then that that really shows you who this man is, huh? Is he a pitcher? Yes. <laughs> well, Good question. I, I did not pick a position player to uh be the Royals opening day starter. That'd be cool though. <laughs> That'd be a bad day. Yeah. Just another day being a Royals fan, right? <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if Zach Granke's retired or if he's gonna play again. That feels he like a very a Zach Granke thing. Yeah, last season. So it's between him, I think Cole Reagans, and then I, I don't know who, unless the Royals trade for someone. So you're telling me uh, it's either a retired guy, the guy you said, or an unknown man who's not on the team. Okay, so single sounds fine <laughs> to me. No, it can't be a single. Why? At because best, there's, it seems there's like there's it's a lot of two options. There's a lot that can happen. Who's to say the guy's still on the team? Well, what if he I mean, the hurt? Royals are making a, a flurry of trades, and there is a lot of time for him to tear a lot of time. Or be injured. And who knows? Like, if you pitch really, really well in spring ball, like some other person, they could be the opening day starter. <laughs> Just because. Uh, tr triple. Triple. I'm fine with the triple. 
Burgered with triple. Yay. <laughs> triple it is. Uh, uh, with two singles, two triples, and two home runs, two, two, two. That concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 Cast, episode 250. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check out our social media pages at 8311Cast, wherever you find us. Signing off for the 8311 Cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Gladwig. Ariane Barry. And Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones.